The reading this morning is from Paul's letter to the Romans, from chapter 6, beginning at the third verse. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we have been buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed and we might no longer be enslaved to sin. For whoever has died is free from sin. But if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. Let us pray. Loving God, may the words that flow from my mouth be inspired by your Holy Spirit and bring freedom to your people. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're setting out into uncharted waters over the next four weeks as we wrestle with the difficult topic of how we understand, deal with, and talk about death. And in doing so, we actually believe that it can and will be life-bringing. Earlier this year, we began talk about our rejuvenation of our Garden of Reflection, which is uh, the garden behind me physically here. Over the past 24 years, the ashes of loved ones have been interred and a space has been created to encourage and enable reflection and a place of peace. As we began to talk, uh, different understandings and perspectives began to emerge, which is not unusual in a community as of any community of a significant size, particularly a church community. But what became clearer is that there was an absence of a consistent theology of death. And in the absence of such a theology, it's easy to come up with our own self-styled way of dealing with death. It's often Christian-influenced, but amongst a group of people, this number, there is a veritable potpourri, or potpourri as the Australians say, of perspective on the way that we understand, deal with, and talk about death. Other than going to a funeral service, I've not actually ever heard a sermon specifically about death. And when I'm delivering the sermon myself, I always focus on love. So it's no wonder that we as a church 
don't have an easily articulatable position on this topic. But ironically, it's the one topic that we should be the strongest and the clearest on. We've uh, begun this series on a very interesting day as well. You may or may not be aware by the way you've um, been shopping in recent times that today is, in fact, Halloween. As the rest of the commercialised, Americanized, and West, Western world is preparing to get dressed up in fancy dress and think about all things spooky and scary, I think it's no better time for the church to ask itself, what are we so scared of when it comes to death? Today's Bible reading is actually the first option in the Anglican prayer book for a reading for a funeral service. This passage begins with references to baptism, the beginning of a Christian journey. For Paul, baptism isn't a singular moment in time event. It's a journey or a process, and its effects are for the entirety of our physical life and our eternal life. We are challenged to understand that the baptism Paul is talking about in this passage doesn't just wash away sin. Rather, it's an actual participation in the death of Jesus Christ and an anticipation of his own resurrection and our own resurrection as well. Throughout this chapter, there are parallels with the Exodus, the story where the Jews escaped from slavery in Egypt. Many Jews in Paul's time were longing for a new Exodus, another great act to free God's people from the oppression of the new Egypt, Rome. As Paul is writing to the early church in Rome, he will not only be writing to Christians of a Jewish background, but also to Gentiles, both slave and free, who, while not relating to the Exodus story, will very much identify with the imagery he uses of slavery and freedom throughout the chapter that we read a section of. Paul writes this chapter with such zeal and a sense of certainty and matter-of-factness that you can't help but feel as you've heard his words, well, if you say so, Paul, it must be so. But his words aren't just dogmatic. They're not just instructions on how we should live our lives. His words go to the heart of Christian identity. This is who we are in Christ. Paul tells the Roman church that if it is true of Jesus, then it is true of them. Not that it should be true, that it is actually true of them. This is big. But how often do we actually let ourselves think, let alone behave that way to go out into the world and as we walk we're consciously aware that people see through us Jesus as we talk as we act that people see in and through us 
Jesus. How often are we intentionally or even subconsciously doing that? I think more often than not, we're reflecting on our unworthiness, our incompleteness, our sin and our brokenness. And it's this thinking that leads us to what I think is an identity of passivity. I couldn't, I shouldn't, I can't. I'm nothing like Jesus, so I better not try. I'll just leave it up to the Holy Spirit. But Paul reminds us that if it is true of Jesus, it is true of us. We totally miss the point if we think the purpose of our life is to believe in Jesus, live a good life, and then go to heaven. The words of the prayer that Jesus taught us to say has these words that I don't think we reflect on often enough. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. We don't wait until we die so we can experience God's kingdom in heaven. It was true of Jesus that the kingdom of God had come. And so it is true of us that the kingdom of God has come and will continue to come until we get to continue that kingdom and it's coming when we die. In the prayer of committal at a funeral service, as a priest I have the privilege to say these words. Almighty God, our Heavenly Father, you have given us a sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. I had the privilege of saying those words by a hospital bed last night to one of our beloved church members. And as he approaches the last stage of his earthly journey, I could see the certainty in his eyes. Can't we hear that sure and certain hope in Paul's words too? But do we live like we have that certainty while we're alive? Or do we just wait to be consoled by those words for someone else who has already died? They say in life there are only two things that we can be certain of, death and taxes. Well, it just so happens that I'm qualified this morning to speak on both topics. But it's been 28 years since I studied tax law. And so I think I'm best to focus on something that I've had more recent experience in, the certainty of death. The answer to the question that I posed, what are we so scared of? Well, I think the answer is that we're actually scared of death itself. I know many faithful people who have lived full lives, particularly when their spouse has passed before them, who confidently have no fear of death, Other than that, 
I haven't experienced many people within the church, and to be honest, I've experienced none outside of the church who aren't afraid of dying. I'm 49. I know I don't look like I am, but I am. I'm fit and healthy. I've got so much more of life to be a part of, to keep living and experiencing and to keep growing and changing and to watch my children and their children do the same. I'm scared of dying before all that happens. I'm not too proud to admit that. But why? Don't I have that sure and certain hope? Don't I know that what has begun on earth will continue in heaven? Yeah, I do in my head, but do I actually live like that now? I'm not so sure. Death is the one aspect of our Christian faith that requires the most from us. It requires the most trust. The most trust in God. Having a sure and certain hope isn't going about life with a sense of reckless abandon that takes all the risks, unconcerned about what the consequences might be. I think having a sure and certain hope, in fact, I know having a sure and certain hope is all about our attitude towards freedom. There is a famous line in the 1960 classic movie, Spartacus. I think uh, I first saw this movie when I was a, a young child on a Sunday afternoon when they used to show the movies on Sunday afternoon matinee. I know there's been uh, lots of remakes of the idea of Spartacus, um, but in this particular version, Kirk Douglas's character Spartacus says these words. When a free man dies, he loses the pleasures of life. Death is the only freedom a slave knows. That's why he's not afraid of it. I think the modern-day Western man and woman, and I include in that the modern-day Western Christian man and woman, has a fundamental misunderstanding of what freedom really is. And I think if we got that right, we'd not only be in a much better position to deal with the certainty of death, but we would be much more able to participate in the kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. I'm well aware that in our time, particularly over the last 18 months, Freedom has become a loaded word. We've come to interpret it as being allowed to do what we want when we want, or not to be told what to do. I think we fundamentally misunderstand oppression and slavery in our Western worldview as well. It's not oppression to be told to do something we really don't want to do because we ideologically disagree or the reasons haven't been fully explained or we just don't want to. Spartacus would say 
that we are just free people losing some of their entitled pleasures of life. And maybe, just maybe, that's what we're really afraid of. Not being able to set the agenda. Not being able to experience the pleasure, security, safety, comfort, abundance that we feel we should be able to. Freedom in Christ is found in the act of dying and rising. And we don't need to wait until we physically die to experience this freedom. Isn't the simplest way to overcome any fear to face it head on? If you've got a fear of heights, you're never going to overcome that fear by staying on the ground. At some point, you need to try and climb that ladder. If our fear of death is linked to our fear of losing the pleasures of life before we're ready to let them go, then perhaps the words of Jesus are appropriate for us today, as appropriate as they were when he preached them on the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus said to those who would listen, but if anyone strikes you on the right cheek, turn the other cheek also. If anyone wants to sue you and take your coat, give your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go also the second mile. The freedom that Paul talks of, the freedom that is found in Christ, isn't the slave telling the Roman centurion that he's not walking that mile because he's now free. It's being told to walk a mile and when you get there and you're told that you're allowed to stop, you choose to keep on going with no expectation of thanks or reward. But just because that mile needs to be walked and you are in a position to walk it. The freedom comes in the decision to sacrificially serve despite our station in life, despite our actual or perceived oppression, and despite our comfort. As I sat beside his bedside last night, as I said lots of words, I had the opportunity to thank one of our dear parishioners, Alan Mayer, for the gift that he has been to our church since his diagnosis with motor neurons disease. Yes, he is coming towards the end of that physical journey. But as he has done that, he's lived as if he's found freedom. For those of you who have had the privilege of seeing that, you will have seen a transformation in him. That's been a powerful testimony of the resurrection here on earth. You might not know or have ever met Alan, but be challenged, inspired, and comforted 
by the truth that death has no dominion over Christ. And because of that, it has no dominion over any of us. We are not in a holding pattern waiting for our kingdom to come. Our kingdom is already here. God is already at work and it's in and through each one of us. I know I'm not the only one who has been a witness to a beautifully compelling alternate way of life in Alan's approach to the way that his life is ending. I just hope I can learn from and embody this example, the example I see in him and I've seen in others who actually live like death has no dominion over them. And it makes me wonder, how beautifully compelling would it be if we didn't have to wait until a terminal diagnosis or a life well lived or an awareness that our time has come before we started to live like this? What testimony would it give the world that is scared of death to see a church rise up in the knowledge that death has already been overcome and we are living in the kingdom now. Loving God, you alone are the source of life. May your life-giving spirit flow through us and give us compassion one for another. Give us the calm of your peace. And kindle in us the infectious gift of joy. Joy in the sure and certain hope of the resurrection to eternal life. We ask this in Jesus' mighty name.